0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church, Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org.
1: So, this is from Leviticus, the chapter A Day of Atonement. When Aaron enters a sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Bear with me a minute. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of a tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present, as a sin offering, the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord.
0: Thank you Jane, okay. this is just so that I can see how long I've been talking, okay, <laughs> because I've got way too many slides, so um, I don't want to bore you for too long, but yes, we are, as Flick said, we are at the moment looking at, uh, up to, during Lent, we're looking at the the meaning of the cross and the different views of looking at the cross. And last week, um, Rebecca spoke about atonement. And one of the things that she said that I really loved was this whole thing of seeing the cross as a place of love, not a place of guilt, that we come to it in that way where I think a lot of us have maybe grown up with the cross being something about us being guilty. I feel like I'm loud. Am I not okay? Okay. Uh, can I have the next slide, please? We are today looking at the scapegoat theory, um, which I think is a very interesting uh, thing to think about at this time. Uh, there's a lot of things going on about scapegoating, but I. I had us look at the reading that Jane had because it comes, scapegoat theory is actually a biblical thing that has become part of how we talk about lots of things in life. Um, And it comes from that place that we, um, that Jane so lovely read for us. And the last line of that, all of that, I only got her to read a little bit of it, because these things, I don't know if any of you have Leviticus as your favorite book, but uh, it's not my favorite book, can I just say that? It is tricky, and it's filled with rules and regulations of getting life right, Uh, which is probably why most of us, it's not, if you start, if you were to start reading the book, the Bible from the first one, and read through Leviticus, it's usually one of the places where you get stuck and just give up and think, nah, I'm not going to do it. Because it's tricky, and there's so much... Oh, there's just so many rules and regulations, which, of course, are all about getting it right, being right. And the last line... So I only got a few bits. There's loads more if you were to do this. This was the offering that Israel had to do once a year. They had to do this offering, and first the... the Um, priest had to sanctify himself and do a sacrifice so that his sins were forgiven and then he had to do it on behalf of the people so it's all these processes to go through and of course the it ends up with saying that the people will be purified and made right with God then you get it that's what you want isn't it isn't that what you want that's what I grew up with that faith is all about being pure and being made right with God I don't know if that's how you have grown up with it, but that is how I grew up with it anyway. That was my thing. So the priest would then, after he had done the sacrifice, there'd be the two goats. And one of them, he would put his hands on, and as he put his hands on them, he would transfer all the guilt, all the sins of the people. And that would then be sent out into the desert, which is the next picture. Um, if we are getting it right. So this goat would be sent out into the desert and would be that visual aid for everybody that the sins were sent out, gone away from us, and we would be pure. So that's the whole place where this scapegoat um, comes from and where we look at how that works. And I don't know what you grew up with, but the next picture is what I grew up with. I remember being in quite a lot of, especially youth meetings and things, where we would dis, where it was described to us what sin did to us and what Jesus meant to us. And I remember being told that when God looks at us, he can't tolerate the sin in us. And he would be horrified by that. And the only way that God could look at us was looking at us through Jesus, which is a little bit what this picture, it's not quite what this picture says, but that whole thing that because God couldn't tolerate sin, he had we had to have Jesus in front of us. Now, I have to say, I don't know what you think, but I question that theology a lot today. Because that, of course, just gives you the sense that I am wrong, which is the next slide, which just gives... Against this whole thing that there's something really wrong with me. I am wrong. Everything about me is not pleasing to God, and I need Jesus to almost be like a filter for God to be able to bear to look at me. That to me, as I have lived with God longer, and as I have heard other ways of Viewing the Bible doesn't sound like a God of love to me. I don't know what you think. But it doesn't sound like love that God can't tolerate looking at me. That just brings with it anyway brought with me all that sense of being guilty and wrong and of not being good enough. enough. And if you were here last week, Rebecca was uh, talking about some of this, about actually shame is some of the things, one of the things that many of us struggle with. And we feel like we're just not good enough, and we don't see the worth that God uh, places on us. Um, And I think um, that's one of the things that I think we as churches have messed up really badly in a lot of places where actually we have missed out what a God who is love is. We would say that God is love. But our view would still be that God can't tolerate looking at me because I am such a bad sinner. For those of you who are parents, I don't know. I'm I'm a parent and have two lovely daughters. I could never think like that about my daughters, that they had done something that's so horrid that I couldn't tolerate them without some kind of a filter. And if I think like that as a mom to my daughters, how can we think that God, who is love, can't look at us because we've done something wrong? There's just something in my head that says we must have got that very wrong somewhere. And I hope that a lot of you didn't grow up with that, but I grew up with that, Uh, have had to live with that. Now the next picture, There's lots of different um, views about that, and I'm not here to tell you what you have to believe or not. But there's a lot of blame going on, and this weekend, I am not very good at knowing who people are, but this weekend, I definitely know who Gary Lineker is. (laughs) I'm not into football, and I never remember names of VIPs. I'm terrible at it. But Gary Lineker did a little tweet and oh my goodness, things can happen. And there's a lot of scapegoating going on at the moment. So is it Suella Braverman that's being scapegoated? Is it Gary Lineker? Is it the BBC? And actually I'll be totally losing the point of why this is all going on, which is something about the rhetoric around refugees which maybe should be what the debate is about, instead of about whether the BBC are doing it right or whether Gary Lineker is doing it wrong. Or, But actually, we need to maybe think about what are we doing in our rhetoric around other human beings who just because they happened to be born in another country where life is really tough, have made the choice to come on a really grueling trip and we criminalize them? I have lots of questions about that. Uh, I'm one of the people, and you can agree or disagree with that, I'm one of the people who was really pleased when I saw Gary Lineker's, uh, the whole uh, tweet and reaction to that, because I think somebody needs to speak up. I think somebody has to say something, because I, A couple of times this last week, I've almost cried when I've seen the news headlines about refugees, because I think it's heartbreaking that we can think like that about other human beings. Now, I wasn't born in this country, as you can probably hear very easily, Um, but I'm one of those people that have come here to England, not out of financial reasons, then I'd probably have stayed at home, actually, to be quite honest. But leaving family and networks and places where you know your culture, it's it's hard work. It's a lot of hard work to find ways of, of making home in a new country. It's not easy. And I know there are lots of debates we could have, and that's not what we're here today, to have today. But the whole thing of scapegoating runs so deeply, and actually I think has become even stronger. I've lived in the UK for 25 years now. And I think the last 10 years have become even worse in the blaming thing. We're finding somebody to blame the whole time. And it's, it's the same in Denmark, so it's not that it's very different in Denmark. In Denmark, if you're a Muslim, oh my goodness, that's just the worst thing. If it's totally acceptable to say nasty things about Muslims around the coffee table in Denmark. And people have a lot of coffee and Danish pastries in Denmark, so it happens a lot. But it's totally acceptable. But we often look for people we can blame. The BBC are probably looking at who they can blame right now so they can get out of this pickle that they're in. Yesterday I walked down just to the shops to get some food and I was given this leaflet, crisis in the NHN who is to blame. And we so easily look for who we can blame because if we find somebody we can blame, we feel a little bit better, don't we? Because they're wrong, I'm right. That's why, we, that's why we do it, isn't it? Which is the whole thing about the, the, the blaming culture and the whole thing about scapegoating. Um, so a lot of us in here, have had experiences of being blamed for being othered. Whether it's LGBT, whether it's racism, whether it's being, just being different, whether it's mental health. There's lots of different reasons that we can be othered. And it can be excruciating, excruciatingly painful Because as soon as as we become othered, we become a scapegoat for some people who then say, you're the one that's wrong, I'm right. So I can sit here and feel cozy and right, and there's probably, very quickly, people that gather around me and say, yeah, they're wrong, we are right. And it becomes a a group kind of identity almost. That's where, One of the guys, when Steve gave me this one to talk about, he told me one guy I had to look at uh, who has, uh, who is uh, René Girard, who is, I think, the father or the creator of what's called mimetic theory, which is all about the scapegoating. And it's interesting because I think we need to skip one slide so we get to a picture, if that's okay, Louise. Um, we, mimetic, mimetic is all about imitating. And that's what we do as human beings, isn't it? We imitate, that's how we learn. We, little babies imitate. Even, even within the first hours of birth, within the first 24, sometimes within the first two hour, four hours, if you stick your tongue out at a baby, it takes a little bit of time for them neurons to do it, but they will imitate it. We are literally imitators. We imitate, that's how you learn to do everything as you grow up. We imitate others, so that we learn to do things. And of course, we all have basic needs that we need to get met, so that's part one of the reasons that we imitate, so that we get our basic needs met. But, As soon as we have them met, I think we often think that then we are individuals and it's our own. But actually, we still imitate, we imitate one of the things that uh, Rene Girard says, is that we mimic, we imitate desire, which is very interesting. Because that is that whole thing, you have the thing around belonging, and you have the thing around getting your basic needs done. But then also the ones who really know the thing about um, what's called mimetic desire, that we imitate desire, is advertising. And if I could have the next slide, then this guy we know has been a big um, guy on uh, advertising for Adidas. And Graham just told me yesterday that at the moment, because he is now, of course, he has stepped out of line and said something, Again, that was racist, but I think Adidas has lost $1 billion uh, because of this, because of having to take him off all the advertising. So that's how you can see that there's something about scapegoating and co- public opinion that actually even can be added up in cost like that. Um, and I. I'm not into the Kardashians and stuff like that. I just, it gives me the, but, (laughs) so I'm not here to advertise that, but just in advertising, just think how much we get shaped by desiring and wanting. And the advertising industry makes loads of money on that. They're very often not trying to sell you the actual product, are they? They're trying to sell you somebody that desires it and loves that product. And then we imitate the desire and we need it as well. And we like having things like that. And of course, when you then think of desiring things, sometimes there isn't enough of what we desire for everybody. And that's when we then get a mimetic crisis because we all want a limited resource and then we fight over who can have it. So this here is in some ways is the basis of culture. And Rene Girard says that this whole thing of scapegoating is actually how cultures are formed and that this has been going on since long before the bible was reading it's in all uh, religions in all cultures and he said he he believes it's it's right since humans were formed were created were whatever happened that that uh, scapegoating has been happening because when we other we also create community and i think that's It it raises a million questions for me, but can we just stop scapegoating? Should we stop scapegoating? How do you stand up for justice if you don't call out things? How do we stand up for justice and still remain inclusive? And culture is really important. One of the reasons I love coming to Oasis because of the culture we have here, so culture is really important, and that whole thing of belonging and being part of is hugely important i 've just got to catch up with where we are now <laughs> um, um, and i I think the the whole thing about how we create a culture where we can stand up for justice and do what is right, but at the same time be inclusive and loving. Now, I work, the job that I do, I work with women whose children have been removed and I support them. And they are are scapegoated on so many different levels. Being a mum who's not able to look after her child, there's not a lot of people who have time for that actually a lot of services would look down a lot of people they will it creates stigma everywhere it creates stigma that you aren't able to look after your own children and it's really hard and you end up creating really tricky situations where where we have little subgroups in our society, mums whose children are not with them, being one of them, where you just feel like you don't fit into society. This last week I've had to fight for one of my women who also has learning difficulties. So very often our women, of course, it's not just that they can't cope with their children. They've experienced horrendous trauma in their childhood, or in their adulthood, um, and lots of them have, some of them have learning difficulties, some of them have mental health diagnosis, rather serious, some of the high end serious ones, and homelessness, substance use, there's lots of different things, and actually each of those labels that you can give them is part of showing how they are othered and scapegoated, and it becomes really hard to get support. I have to argue a bit with a barrister and a solicitor this week because I was told that the law, I'm not sure it's true, but I can't say, but I have definitely before sat through many, with many of my women, both meetings with barristers and solicitors and in court, and all of a sudden I was told at the beginning of the week that, that it's against the law and it's contempt of court. I was like, what? We fought a little bit for it, and I did sit with her through court and sat with her, because that was her choice. That was what she felt like would help her cope a little bit better with getting through a day in court. And if you have learning uh, disabilities, then significant... No, what's it called? I've just lost the word for that. But you are allowed to get what helps you get through it. And for her, it was emotional support over language support. She could have had both if she wanted it. I've sat with advocates before together with them. But actually that whole thing of a woman being heard, she's had several meetings with these guys and with social services where it's ended up, where I've heard afterwards that she has been shouting and swearing at them um, in in the progress of the meetings. Because she's, of course, sitting with a lot of pain right now. Her child has been taken away from her and then she feels not listened to because people just want to tell her what's happening and tell her what she has to do. Nobody stops and says, how are you? What's it like for you? What do you want? What can we do for you to manage this meeting? And nobody listens. And then you sit with all this pain and you feel like no services actually want to hear what it's like to be you. I don't know if you can imagine what that's like. And I've had that with so many. Sometimes I talk to my women about the power of my badge. I don't use my badge hardly ever when I'm with them. But if I go into court, or if I go into housing to deal with an issue around the housing, or into a psychiatrist, or it can be different places. If they ask for me to be with them, I will, and in the places where we can, or where it may make a difference, we use what I call the power of the badge. So I just sit next to them and have a badge on me, and very often I don't have to say anything. Just because I sit there, the women tell me they get treated differently. And actually, I wonder whether when we think about scapegoating and when we think about what jesus has done for us which i think more than and it says in galatians i think that verse is on there but i maybe we just won't look at that it says yeah it says this whole thing that in christ jesus you are all children of god through faith You are, you. all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Just remember he's saying this to a Jewish community. This doesn't sound like a biggie to us. That was a real biggie, because Jews had a very strong sense of belonging. And actually you were either in or you were out. So, so uh, Paul's saying this in Galatians, that you're neither this was actually real uh, culture dynamite that we sometimes miss because we have heard it before. Neither slave nor free. So if you were in a church like this and some of you were slave owners and some of you were slaves, we are the same, we're equal here. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are equals. There is not male or female, Again, the same there is no hierarchy we are all one in Christ Jesus so we belong to him and actually this whole which is we talk a lot about inclusion in Oasis don't we and scapegoating is about othering. and I do as I said before I do think we have to stand up for justice wherever we can but we have to be careful that when we stand up for justice, we still include the people. Because everybody needs to belong. Everybody needs to know that they belong, they are welcome. No matter who we are, we all need to know that we belong because God welcomes us all. He is the God of everyone. And I... I just want to close with one last thing, which is from Hosea uh, chapter 6, because one of the things that Jesus changed was this whole thing about the sacrifices. In Hosea 6, it says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to know me. And I think that's what God calls us to. He calls us to come to him so we get to know him more and that we develop that relationship and where we just work on loving, and again, loving God and loving our neighbor. That's how it's got, got to all add up. So when we look at the scapegoat view that Jesus died for us, he did, he did die for us, but he, he lived for us as well. And I think Rebecca said something about that last week as well, and I think that's really important. He came so that we could learn from the way that he lived. And Jesus lived in a way that actually muddled being inclusive. Because he would have dinner with Zacchaeus, who was the rich tax collector. And he would include the poor. He would feed them and he would uh, welcome the prostitutes. So all the ones that were othered, he was showing that he was including them. And I think that's what we're called to do as well. So this week, let's think about how we can how we can include people who are othered. How we can sit next to those who have nobody to sit next to. How we can listen to those who feel like they're not being heard. Let's look at how we can be love to people around us who feel others and who need to know that they also belong and they are loved. Let's pray. God of love, we come to you and we want to be changed by you. We want to know your love. We want to know that you are here for us and your love is for us. Pray that you would help us to connect deep within us with you being love for us. And I pray that you would help us this week to see where we can be that love for other people as well. Help us to be the ones who see people who are being othered and that we step out and we include instead. Help us to speak up speak up for the voiceless this week. Help us to include the excluded.
1: Amen.